This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Sim Wee Boon. Last week, Bank Negara warned that unsold properties in the country have remained at an elevated level as of end 2020. This was despite a rebound in transaction volumes in the housing market to a pace comparable to the average quarterly growth seen before the pandemic. But property overhang is not something new here in Malaysia. I mean, at least not for the past few years. So how has COVID-19 affected the issue and what can we expect moving forward? Joining me in this discussion is Charlie Ko, CEO of Urban Metry, a property data company. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Um, so let's, let's start off with the news now. Property overhang has been a long-standing issue in Malaysia. So COVID-19, with its negative impact that it's had on the economy, has it made the situation any worse? Um, well, I would argue that actually the COVID-19 has given the industry a little bit of a breathing room. Um, not, of course, in terms of sales. I think half the uh, property CEOs listening to this is going to say, how can you say that? You know, COVID was a big impact to us. But actually... COVID in terms of, in, in the context of property overhang, it has given the industry a little bit of a breathing room. Uh, there was a lot of supply that was already in the pipeline and was being planned to come online and uh, demand was struggling to sort of keep up. And basically with COVID-19 and the slowdown of construction and slowdown of sales, well, slowdown of sales is not so desirable, but because of the, the administration issues, the slowing down of launches and slowing down of construction actually gave the market a little bit of a breathing room. So then demand could catch up um, to the supply that was in the pipeline. So I would argue that uh, COVID actually has a little bit of a silver lining and it allows the industry to sort of consolidate a little bit and, and, and take a a breeding phase for it to, to, to digest the stock that was in the pipeline. Okay, but this still doesn't really help the overhang issue. It's just a small breeding space. Well, the amazing thing about population and cities and things like that is that we grow as a population. It's about people, right? So uh, the fact that you have more time, it actually helps with absorption because families get formed every year. So the more time you have uh, given to the market in order for families to form, and we all heard about the, the mini baby boom that happened during you know, COVID-19 <laughs> and things like that would help actually with family formation, you know. And family formation, household formation is a very big part of, uh, of property demand. Like when people need uh, bigger spaces for families or when they need to, you know, uh, uh, get married and then have children and, and, and consume more space in the residential space, right? So those things actually help uh, in a way uh, when household formation is allowed to sort of catch up to the supply that's coming to the market. Okay, so with household formation in Malaysia still strong, we take a step back from this COVID-19 effect and look at the larger issue of the overhang. Now, let's start off with right. the many reasonings, wrong location, mismatch in pricing, perhaps even issues with product or, or even conservative lending policy. How much of each of this is contributory to the overhang? It's in, interesting that you put this up. I think a lot of times people like the one-liner answer where it's like, oh, it's just, uh, you know, the location was wrong. Oh, the pricing was wrong. Oh, the product was wrong. Actually, it's a combination of all these things and it's really sort of a little bit like medicine, you know. There's no one-size-fits-all uh, medication that you can give a patient and then uh, they, they cure immediately, right? So the, the thing with uh, the Malaysian property market for the longest time is that they don't consume information sophisticatedly because 
we had this, we enjoyed this really strong household formation rate. We had you know young population for a long time. We no longer have that. But in the times when you have a young population growth, building homes for people was kind of a no-brainer, right? And and they didn't really have to crunch a lot of numbers or be very very target or very very uh, acupuncturish in terms of what they're doing in a specific piece of land. And the thing about property development is that the land cannot move, right? That's a, a you can't change that variable. So you can only change things like pricing or or um, or the product or timing that you're launching to the market, things like that. But because uh, property developers previously was not so used to consuming this data, they sort of launch and then, you know, build and they will come kind of attitude, right? But that no longer can sort of happen. As a, You have to be a little bit more sophisticated as a property developer to be able to price as well as uh, to launch a correct product in the correct location at the correct time. You can only sort of balance all these things um, if you have enough information or the ability to sort of consume them. And uh, a lot of times, you know, people harp on the idea of pricing, right? So the same pricing doesn't work for even different parts of KL. Don't even talk about Clang Valley, right? Even if you're within two or three kilometers of each other, that assumption actually doesn't fly. And you can't just say, oh, there is an oversupply of luxury housing and then we now all build affordable housing. I don't think, I, th I think that's a very scary thought in my opinion. Another observation that's been made is that there is a high number of unsold secondary properties, yet property launches by developers are at record high. Why is there a disparity? Why do you think there's a disparity here? Well, um, property developers, not all property developers have the luxury of responding to the market that quickly. So uh, the industry construction and housing construction especially is a long cycle. You're talking about like four years or five years sometimes. Uh, for a project to complete from start when they buy the land and submit their uh, DO and BP all the way to when they actually hand over the keys to the homeowner, right? So the entire process is about five years. So a lot of times, um, developers cannot actually just say, oh, there is a, there is a, the, a huge overhang. I'm just going to stop all my production of homes. So it's a little bit like there is the inertia. There's already um, uh, sunk costs in and, and there's operational costs and the opportunity costs as well. So if you don't launch properties in a year, you actually feel it in the next three or four years because of the, your billings. So it is not so easy to just say, I'm going to pull a handbrake and don't do anything if you're big enough, right? If you're very, very small and you're in a small town and you're building 20 terrace houses, sure. But if you are much larger, this becomes a bit of an issue. And if that's your, your, your primary cause of work, right? So they can't respond very quickly. So the timeliness of the data that you're getting and the ability for you to see three to seven years ahead in time in terms of the stock that's coming into the market is very important. And that's what, uh, sorry to self-promote a little bit, but that's what we offer to our clients, right? For them to see um, the kind of forward three to five years. So we're just responding to, uh, you know, data that says, oh, there's an overhang. Overhang is like, you know, historical data already. It's already nine months in the market and it can't move, right? Responding to that is not going to help you. You need to respond to your future uh, competition and future stock that's coming into the market. So that's very important. Then how can developers respond then? Because yes, they can't put a handbrake, but is, is there a way to maybe slow down? Is there a way to maybe reprice? Oh, because they have to be smarter. They have to, they have to be smarter for sure, right? So that's why I said they need to no longer fly blind, 
right? They cannot go and launch a product and see if it can get absorbed and then allow it to be unsold for years. They need to now be very, very sure that the product that they put into the market and the timing that they put into the market suits the market and is able to absorb, to allow it to be efficient. And I can tell you, I know a few of my clients who launched luxury housing and they did very well because they were able to find that gap in that market and know that they have no competition and they were able to absorb. And these are like, you know, no overhang, even though it's luxury market, right? But it's very, it's very, very specific to that location and that market. So you can't just go swiping and say, oh, you know, all affordable housing, that's where we should go because there's so many luxury housing. Yes, but they're not in the location. Some of these luxury housing is not in the location that there is a demand, but there are areas that has that demand. And there are other areas where there's an oversupply of affordable housing and you should not be building more. People have to do their homework. Lah. Yeah, essentially, developers really need to look into all these different, different factors that would lead to a successful product and then finally figure out what's right. So it's about figuring out the location, finding the right prices, finding the right product for who their customer base is. So maybe we can talk a bit about prices because I think for the longest time, property prices is somewhat of a mystery to most people in terms of like how it's priced, how there's a difference between SPA price and the real prices after all the rebates and discount. Maybe you can break it down and like talk about exactly what's going on here in terms of how developers price their properties. Right. Um, it is an open secret in the market, right? So a lot of, there's a lot of financial packages, I would call it, to ease um, buyers who are very cash-strapped to actually jump onto the uh, the mortgage market and to obtain a mortgage in order to buy a home. Let's not talk about developers, private developers, right? Even government does this. Government are offering a 100% loan or 110% loan, even though they don't mark up the SPA. They are offering 100%, 100% to 110% loan, 10% to cover your fees and your, your renovation or whatever it is, in order to get people onto the a home ownership wagon. So it is a motivation because people are getting more and more. We all know income didn't rise as high as cost of living. And so people are very cash strapped because when they're very cash strapped, they can't come up with a 10%. But there is still this sort of like momentum and pressure to keep up that consumption of homes, right? So then in order to encourage affordability, uh, uh, people are giving a lot of financial packages to uh, to encourage people to buy a home. This is all, you know, you walk to a mall, come up to you with these offers, it's, it's all there, right? But it's a problem because uh, when you have issues like this, we now, and if it gets, if it's not no longer a small portion of the market or, or the transactions in the market, it starts to distort the valuation of the asset. And banks rely on the asset value that it is collateralized against to give out loans. So when asset values are not as solid as they should be, then there's a higher amount of risk in the market that is just sort of uh, not factored in or is in this gray area. So the, the practice of giving rebates and things like that is not healthy and it should not continue. But the problem is that we still have a lot of, there's this train that's moving and then there's a lot of stock in the market. And so how do we move that without... Uh, with, with a lower income and as, at the same time not giving people have cash strap, right? So those are the factors that actually is affecting the market and it would make it very, very difficult for both the banks and the property developers in the future if this practice continues. Right, great points, Charlie. But um, we have to take a break now for some messages. So um, don't go anywhere. Stay with us. BFM 89.9. 
Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Sim Wee Boon and with me today is Charlie Ko, CEO of Urban Metri, a property data company. And we've been talking about the property overhang issue here in Malaysia, especially off the back of BNM's report last week about how unsold properties in the country have remained at an elevated level as of end 2020. Now, Charlie, before the break, we were touching on the property prices and how it's done, which sounded rather arbitrary to me. Now, Charlie, what I want to ask you is how then should property be priced? Is there a more sustainable way to evaluate a property price that's to be launched? No, I think uh, I would turn the question around. I would think that what would allow um, the property developers to stop cannibalizing themselves? You know, because if you think about it, they are actually marking it to market in a way because whoever developer who's launching at a certain time, they basically go like, okay, I'm going to launch in location X, right? And he's not going to be the only developer that he's going to have competition. So the way that a buyer goes, he's going to shop around three, four properties before he, ar- he arrives at one. And even though maybe all of them are priced a certain way, they are giving different financial packages to attract that buyer, right? So in a way, the, the developers are actually competing. There is a competition there. Uh, there is a price adjustment based on the competition, right? The issue here is actually different from pricing because the, the buyer actually enjoys, in a way, that pricing. The issue is more like, is it a leverage, a leverage amount or is it cash amount? The, the buyer is still enjoying the net price. It's just that price, is it leveraged or is it with cash? And I think um, there is a difference between the two and that's why... It is so difficult to buy a subsale property in the market versus a new house. So I could have a subsale property that is four hundred thousand, but my cash upfront to buy a four hundred thousand subsale property is so much higher than when I buy a six hundred thousand new property. Because when you buy a six hundred thousand ringgit property, my cash upfront is almost zero. Yeah, because of how the loans are structured and the rebates are given and everything. Correct. But yeah. if I buy a subsale, my cost is uh, ten plus four to six percent. Right. I have to buy. I pay ten ten percent down payment. I have to pay for my lawyer. I have to pay for my valuer. Then I have to pay for the stamp duty. So all that adds up, right? And then my four hundred thousand now, my cash requirement is like. 70 to 80,000, but my 600,000 property, my cash upfront could be as low as 10,000. Okay, so this situation that you're describing sounds like a bit more harder and more expensive than buying something new. I mean, if, if you think of it, how like buying a car, Correct. buying a secondhand car Correct. should be easier and cheaper than buying a new car. If you're looking at, you know, the same kind of range, which you, when you think about it in this way, Correct. it's kind... Yeah, this is a cash flow issue. So you have to actually look at the buyer's perspective in a cash issue. So the affordability is not in the pricing. It's not in how expensive is the house. The affordability is in the how much cash I need up front. Okay, so then what can we change these rules or can I mean, what can be done to address this cash flow issue then? Well, I mean, uh, that one I will leave it to the regulators, but there's two ways around it, right? Either you make it easier at the subsale, subsale property side, you know, and say, oh, you also don't need like the 10% upfront or, or you enforce and regulate your developer's side, which is actually also very, very difficult. I think they have tried to do that as well. And I think enforcement is not as easy as we think it is. Uh, and also, you know, freeing up that 10% down payment is also not exactly what the, uh, 
uh, the regulators would prefer. So I actually empathize with them. It's a hard thing to regulate. Uh, but I think suggest to look at it not in so fixated to the pricing. Uh, a lot of people are very fixated to this idea of pricing. But I think the industry requires a little bit more restructuring as an industry itself. Not so much focus on like trying to whack the mold, you know, like sort of like solve this pricing issue. I think the, a, a big issue that the industry is uh, facing is that uh, the supply cannot be predicted or uh, there's a lot of competition. There's actually too much competition. I would argue that in the housing industry in Malaysia, uh, competition is too stiff. So this overhang, I would say that it is actually a, a symptom that the, the industry has too, too many competitors and it has, it has actually become quite inefficient. I mean, this is a kind of a symptom of when everyone came out and decided to be a developer. I mean, it's similar in how everyone wants to be a glove manufacturer now. Back then, it was, you know, <laughs> the, the formula, like, you, like we've said earlier in the conversation, right? The formula was easy. Buy a land, build a house and sell because people are going to buy. And now it seems like they've built too much. And, and because the situation is in a, such a, a complicated way where it's not about tomorrow or three days from now, it's, it's, it's a seven, five to seven year long process. I mean, what, what kind of uh, insight can you give in terms of what might happen if nothing is being done right now? I mean, how will the market look like in the next five years? Well, I think people have to do something. And the government, both the government and um, the, the regulators will do something uh, eventually. I'm ju it's just a matter of timing and if they could uh, manage this inefficiency um, without much damage, I think, to the entire industry. And I think that's what most people in the industry want that the, the industry uh, remains healthy, right? And I think uh, to do that, unfortunately, there needs to be higher standards placed, right? So there are like associations that, uh, you know, preach or ask for bill now, sell later, like bill and sell, right? I think that's a bit extreme. Uh, it, it seems again like sort of like, let's find this new formula of doing things and then everything will be fine, right? I think most of the time, uh, a lot of the inefficiency in the market are fundamental. They are actually very deep-rooted issues. The two issues that I always talk about is, one, the regulators, I mean like councils, like DBKL, MBPJ, uh, people on the ground. Uh, the government hasn't evolved, <laughs> again, since 1970s, right? So a lot of their income comes from uh, development. Because we, are, we, we as people... We as like rakyat, right? We don't want them to increase our assessment. So we say, oh, you know, this is my house price, but I don't want you to increase my assessment. My assessment has been 500 ringgit since 1980. I'm a retiree now. Don't, don't increase my assessment. I still want to only pay 500 ringgit, right? But everything has gone up in price. Your wage has gone up in price. Your, your, the, the cost of servicing you as a council has gone up in price. In order to compensate that cost, without increasing your assessment, their only way is really on development charges. So if their only income is if I encourage development, why would they curb it? I can only tax you if you develop and that's my real source of income. So there's this incentive here to help them regulate on supply. There's no incentive actually. So fundamentally, we have to think of it in a larger scale instead of just saying, oh, the developers are doing these small little acts, right? But it's not that. It is fundamentally there is something something off, right, with our, the way we are managing our cities. The councils are actually not getting the income that they require through the normal, supposedly designed way of assessment. So they have to supplement it with all these other things. The second issue is that whatever arbitrary number 
we ask the developer or tell the developer to, to, to fulfill uh, the criteria in order for them to be the developer has changed over time, but we, uh, the government doesn't respond properly, right? So it is so easy to be a developer today. It is actually very, very easy, which allows the fact that there's so many developers in town. But does this number of developers actually um, safeguards the entire industry as well as the, the uh, benefit of the home buyers? Maybe we need better quality of developers by raising the bar on who can be a developer. It's just the same as you won't drive a car that is uh, made by some bankel in, in Kapong or something, right? You will buy it from Honda, Toyota, people who have stress tests, and they need a certain amount of money in order to, to build that brand in order to sell you a car. But in Malaysia, it is, that's not really required of a home, buy, home builder. And that leads to a lot of like, things like abandoned projects and people not getting their keys after a long time, ETC. So maybe we need to hold the standards on who can or cannot be uh, a property developer more seriously. Great points, Charlie. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. And I want to thank you, Charlie, for being on The Property Show. That was Charlie Koh, CEO of Urban Metry, a property data company. I'm Simwee Boon, signing off for The Morning Run. We've got the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, PFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.